Well, let's turn to James chapter 3 as we're making our way through James's little letter. And before we read from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, I want to tell you a story this morning at, right here at the beginning that I'm just going to warn you right up front is going to make you feel a little uncomfortable and squirmy for a Sunday morning, okay? So just fair warning to everyone um, and could potentially ruin your appetite for lunch, but I'm just letting you know. Um, a few years back, I noticed, here we go, I noticed a sore developing in the corner of my eye. Was not good. You know, could it could have been a sty, could have been a blocked tear duct or something, but it just didn't get any better. And it was painful, it was red, it was swollen, it was hurting, it was gooky. I told you, it's coming. So I saw it in the mirror and I said, ooh, that's not good. Christine saw it and she said, what is that? Um, so I decided, it, okay, I'm going to go to a doctor. We got to get this. I think I went to an urgent care. And so the doctor proceeded to shine a bright light into my eye that was already struggling. And he said, hmm. That's not what you want to hear a doctor say. You don't want to hear him say, hmm. And then he turned around and retrieved two long wooden sticks that were tipped with cotton, and he proceeded to come at my eye with those two things. I thought he was coming at me with cotton-laced two-by-fours. Um, and he came, and he began to press those sticks together right on my sore spot to squeeze out, that's right, the pus. I warned you. And then after he did that one time, he said, okay, one more time. And he came at me again and did it again as I winced. And then he looked at it, shined the light in it again, and he said, okay, I know I said one more time the last time, but one more time. And he came at me and did it again. Um, it was not a pleasant experience. And then he prescribed an antibiotic ointment that I applied to my eye, and in a few days, it was all better. The mirror didn't yell at me anymore, and my wife thought I was beautiful again. All was well. Well, in the first chapter of James's letter, he told us that God's word is like a mirror. And here in James chapter 3, God is going to put a mirror in our face to point out something ugly that we can't often see ourselves. And then he's going to use the words of James to press on us this morning and try to squeeze out the infection of pride, unbelief, and selfishness. And, and you know, let's just be honest. The rest of James is like this. Um, just when you think he's pressed on you, the last time James will say to us, one more time, and he's going to keep coming after us. And uh, it's painful, yes, to read these verses that we're about to read, um, but through James, Jesus is putting his finger 
on the right spot, on the sore spot, and, and it has to be done. He's got to do it if we're going to heal. If we're going to uh, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing in us that looks like Jesus, as James has said, then he's got he's to press on us. The book of Hebrews tells us that he disciplines for our good so that we may share in his holiness. So, with that being said, let's enjoy James coming at us with the cotton swab logs, shall we? Would you stand with me? And we will hear the word of the God who loves us and wants to heal us from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and anyone who does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, this is your word, and it is, it is strong. As some, someone said to me this week, as they were looking ahead at this passage, uh, it doesn't seem that there's anything positive here. But we, but we know that what is positive is the work you were doing to uh, heal us, to get rid of what's infecting us uh, so that we might be more like Jesus. And so would you do that work in us today? Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So here's where we're headed this morning. As we walk through these verses, we're going to listen to what God has to say about the tongue, and then we're going to hear what God has to say about the symptoms that alert us to the disease that infects our tongues. And then we'll hear about the cure that our great physician has prescribed. So we're going to talk about the tongue. We're going to talk about the symptoms of a sin-sick tongue. We're going to talk about 
the disease that causes those symptoms, and then we're going to talk about the cure, okay? So here we go. The tongue, verses 1 through 5. So why is James taking up the subject of the tongue now? Why, why here? Remember, there's no chapter divisions or verse divisions in the original letter that James wrote. He goes from talking about faith without works is dead right into talking about the tongue. And he, he goes, he's been saying that the proof of our faith is in what it produces. Uh, just as Paul said, the only thing that counts is a faith expressing itself in love. Um, James has been talking to us about a, a, the root of faith that lives in Jesus produces the fruit of a life that loves like Jesus. And now, the tongue. James says in chapter 2, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We talked about that last week. And now he points to our talk as the first test of that real faith. And he's following the lead of his brother Jesus, who said in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That sounds like what James has been saying. Jesus and James are in agreement. You see that a person is justified by words and not by faith alone. But James and Jesus are not saying that your words save you. I, I need to make that clear. Paul was, Paul was right, and they agree with him. By grace, you're saved through faith not by works, so that no one can boast. But James and Jesus are saying that the way we use our words will justify or verify whether that faith has truly saved us. Again, as I said last week, the Reformers echoed Jesus and James and Paul when they said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Real faith works itself out in love for God and love for people. And James is saying real faith will work itself out in a tongue that loves God and loves people. So, for James, the tongue becomes an illustration of how faith works, an application of how faith works. And he uses our words as a test to help us examine our faith to see if it's real faith or just religious fluff. So, James is saying, in effect, if you want to know if your faith is real and that Jesus is transforming you by his word and spirit, then stick out your tongue and let me have a look. He starts with the tongue because he knows that Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That small flap of flesh behind our teeth is a force to be reckoned with. If the tongue is not wielded by love, it becomes a lethal weapon. And this little small part that we have, James says, has superpowers. It can give life and it can take life. And that's the power that James is talking about in verses 1 through 6. Let's look at these. In verse 1, 
Again, the tongue has the power of life and death, and that's why teachers in the church will be held more accountable for their speech because we teachers use our words to mold the minds and motivate the hearts of God's people. With great power comes great responsibility. Where there are many words, there are many opportunities to give life and many opportunities to take life. And friends, this is, this is not the passage that any preacher really wants to preach because it is so convicting. And I have failed many, 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 many times. I remember uh, an especially vivid time when I was uh, a college pastor years ago, and I had just had a, a meeting with all of our college ministry volunteer leaders, some training time for them. And one of them, uh, a man older than me, came to me after the meeting and he said, Jimmy, I want you to know that two times in this meeting, you said something that hurt me because you were trying to be funny. And that's just, that's just one of many ways that I, as a teacher, preacher, leader in the church, have misused my tongue. And in my five and a half years here, I've, I've, I've done it to many of you as well. Some of you, I've had the opportunity to ask for forgiveness for that. Others, I may not even be aware that I've done it. And so I, I right here, want to invite you. Schedule a time to meet with me and let's talk about words I've said that have hurt you, done you damage, ways I've sinned against you with my tongue. But teachers aren't the only ones. Preachers aren't the only ones who will be accountable for their words. In verse 2, James says, we all, and he says we to include himself, we all stumble in what we say. All of us stumble in how we use our words. We've all been given this power and the responsibility to wield it well. Jesus said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's, that's frightening. Now look, in verses 3 four, through 4, quickly, look at how James describes this power-packed tongue. In verse 3, he says it's a small bit that directs a big horse. In verse 4, he says it's a small rudder that directs a big ship. In verse 5, it's a small part that boasts big power. In verse 5, too, it's a small spark that starts a big fire. A little bitty thing with incredibly great power. And why? Why does the tongue have all that kind of power? Well, let's think about it for a moment. Think back over the story um, that God has revealed to us. Um, in the beginning, God created us in his image. And God is the God who speaks. The Bible tells us that God spoke every created thing into existence. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Whatever God said, let there be, came to be. 
powerful. So when God created us in his image, he gave us our tongues. He gave our tongues not the exact power that God has, but a very similar power. Our our words cannot create worlds, but they can do worlds of good. And as James says here in in this passage, they can be a world of unrighteousness. Death and life, the proverb said, are in the power of the tongue because we're made in the image of God. And we see that in in Genesis right away in the life of Adam. Adam used his tongue. He used words to name all of the animals. That's an amazing power and responsibility that God gave to Adam. And what a joy for Adam, right, to reflect something of the word-speaking, life-giving rule of God by using his words to exercise dominion over God's creation. That's what God has intended by giving us these powerful tongues. But then when one of those creatures, under Satan's power, used its slimy, forked tongue to speak lies to Adam and Eve, Adam did not use the God-given power of his tongue to silence the serpent. But instead, Adam himself was silent. So then Adam's misuse of his tongue's power led to the corruption of every tongue since that day. God gave us his words. God gave us our words so that we might give life to the world. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So our our tongues can feed others, our tongues can heal others. But as I said, something went wrong. Adam misused the power that God had entrusted to him and his tongue, and so we've all inherited a sin-sick tongue to this day. In verses 6 to 10, James goes on to describe the symptoms of that sin-sick tongue. Three symptoms I'm going to give us this morning. First of all, the sin-sick tongue doesn't sound like God. The sin-sick tongue doesn't sound like God. Verse 6, James says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, with a fire set on fire by hell itself. So the sin-sick tongue speaks the language of hell, the language of the devil himself. James is saying here that a loose tongue can cause all hell to break loose. And in verse 8, he calls the sin-sick tongue a restless evil, full of deadly poison, Who might, what might James be thinking about when he says that the tongue is a restless evil and full of poison? Well, it sounds like that snake in the garden. Um, Satan, who in the book of Job, we're told, reported to God that he'd been roaming to and fro on the earth. Kind of a restless creature. And 
who Peter describes as a lion that prowls the earth seeking someone to devour. He's a restless evil, full of deadly poison, like a snake. So the sin sick tongue doesn't sound like God, but God's enemy. So our question this morning as we're checking out to see if we have these symptoms, when we speak, do we, do we sound like God or do we sound like his enemy? What does his enemy sound like? What Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. The Bible says the Satan is the accuser of God and God's people. Jesus said that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. So James is pressing on us and pointing out the symptoms of our sin-sick tongues and asking the question, do we lie and deceive? Do we accuse God? Do we accuse others? Do we use our words to steal and kill and destroy? Do we sound like God's enemy or do we sound like God? But we can know that if we're trusting in and abiding in Jesus, we're new creations. We've been transferred from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. So we can ask ourselves, is the language I speak, is my heart language the language of death and darkness? Or, it is, or has it become the language of the kingdom of the beloved Son of God? So the sin-sick tongue doesn't sound like God. It sounds like his enemy. Secondly, the sin-sick tongue won't submit to God. He says in verses 7 and 8, Every kind of beast and bird, or reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Uh, raise your hand. Is there anyone here who has perfectly tamed their tongue? Any takers? Raise your hand. Mm, rats. I was going to have a deacon kick you in the shin and see how that goes. Of course not. Here, here's, here's a test from Paul, Ephesians 4.29. See... See if your tongue can submit to this one little verse. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So if you want to try and test and see if your tongue can submit to God, for the next week, only say things that build each other up, that build others up, and give grace to those who hear your speak. So it might look like this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't, don't gossip, which means you confess other people's sin. Don't complain about anything, even the length of the sermon. Don't blame shift or make excuses. Don't defend yourself, and don't boast about anything. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, okay, for a whole week. We'll check in on you next week. But do this. Here's the positive side. Only use your words, Paul says, to build up and give grace to those who hear. Here, here's how you can do that. Speak only good about other people. Even the people running for office. Speak only good about others. Encourage someone every day to look to Jesus. 
Paul says this in Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Paul says, if you're going to compete about something, I want you to try to compete and see who can outdo one another in showing honor. And then one other, admit it when you're wrong or your sin, and then boast in your weakness and in the cross of Jesus, okay? So do that for the next week, everybody. At lunch, I will fail to submit to this one verse. That's my prediction. The rest of you, I'll give you till tomorrow. The sin-sick tongue can't even submit to Ephesians 4.29. One verse. The sin-sick tongue will not submit to God, James says. So that's two symptoms. The third symptom is this. The sin-sick tongue doesn't love God and love people with itself. James calls the tongue a world of unrighteousness. Well, righteousness is living in line with the law of God, which Jesus summarized as loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So, if the tongue naturally is a world of unrighteousness, then the tongue that God wants for us is one that is righteous, a tongue that loves God, a tongue that loves people. And so here in verses 9 and 10, James is going to expose the inconsistency and hypocrisy of our words. He says, with the same tongue, we bless God and we curse people made in his image. He sounds an awful light like John who said, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what John is saying there is that our love for God is verified by our love for people. We can, we can come in here and use our words to lift up God and then leave here and use our words to tear down people who are made in God's image. And if we do that, what does it say about our worship? James said in verse 26 of chapter 1, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. He's pressing us. <laughs> He's pressing us. And he says, do your words love God? Do you thank him? Do you praise him? Do you talk to him? Do you declare your dependence on him? Do you talk about him to one another? Do your words love people? Do we slander? Do we gossip, attack, bully, manipulate, abuse, make fun of, make snide or snarky comments? The sin-sick tongue does not love God and love people, even though that's what it was created to do. So, hang with me, folks. I know it's painful. But having described the sin-sick tongue and our hopelessness to tame it, James looks at us today and says, one more time, verse 10, my brothers, 
These things ought not to be so. He's saying, fellow, fellow Christian brother, fellow Christian sister, all of these things that I've just said, these symptoms, they just ought, ought not to be so. This isn't who we are. And it just, it just shouldn't be. Do we feel the weight of what James is saying here? Our failure for our words to sound like God and submit to God and to love God and people, it just, it just shouldn't be. It's not the purpose for which we're created and redeemed. It's, it's not the righteous fruit that comes from a real faith. This is not how people who have faith in Jesus follow Jesus. And so do we feel the weight of our sinful talk enough to dig a little deeper and to find out where, where is this coming from? I see the symptoms, James, I see them. But where is it coming from? I want to know because this isn't what I want to be. What is the sickness behind the symptoms? And so he goes on in verses 10 and 12 and tells us that the real problem is not how we talk. These are symptoms of a disease of the heart. And James is going to hint at this connection between the heart and the mouth in verses 10 to 12. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The spring is something inside behind the opening. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so James is echoing the, teacher, the teaching of his brother, Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Listen to how similar it sounds to James. Jesus said, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes are, uh, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, Jesus says. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Another translation put it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our real problem is not our tongue, it's our heart. Look back quickly at these three illustrations James used for the power of the tongue. The bit and the horse. He said, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He's saying the heart holds the reins of the tongue. The rudder in the ship. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The heart is the pilot that steers the tongue, which determines our direction. And then the fire in the forest. How great a forest, he said, is set ablaze 
by such a small fire. The heart is the hand that strikes the match that sets the forest on fire. So James is saying that we have to ask, what's going on in my heart that's overflowing in my speech? And when God's spirit and God's word begin to press on my sin-sick tongue, the pus of infection comes out of my sin-sick heart. Now, forgive me for the maybe cheesiness of this, but let's just look at this word pus, P-U-S, and use it as a way to look at what's going on in the heart behind our words. P, uh, so P-U-S, pride, unbelief, and selfishness. So I was thinking about myself as I was thinking about these things. Pride, pride in the heart leading to the way I talk. The reason I boast, the reason I lie, the reason I defend myself, the reason I talk down to others, talk bad about others, or use my words to manipulate others is because I'm proud. I think I am better than, or at least want to be seen as better than, these other people. And it comes out in the way I speak to them or about them. So pride is in the heart. Unbelief. The reason I grumble and gripe is because there's no gratitude in my heart toward God. I don't believe he's for me. I don't believe he's not against me. So I complain about what's going on in my life. And I rarely praise God for his mercies that are new every morning. So it's unbelief. It's a lack of joyful dependence on my father who loves me. And it comes out in what I do say in my grumbling and griping and what I don't say when I don't have gratitude toward God for what I know is good. And then S, selfishness. My snide and sarcastic remarks, my criticisms, my accusations, my gossip about other people, all these words betray a heart that says, I'm the king of the universe, and if you get in my way, I will slay you with my words. Friends, I don't need a new bit in my mouth. I need a new rider to hold the reins. I don't need a new rudder to steer my ship. I need a new pilot to steer my life. I don't need a new tongue. I need a new heart. And thanks be to God, there is a cure. Now, James doesn't tell us the cure in these verses, but he tells us way back in chapter 1 that we are to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Not only the word about Jesus, but the word who is Jesus. And maybe this morning you find yourself, as I have found myself, confronted with the holiness of God and the hardness of your heart. And if so, you can relate to Isaiah, whom we read earlier, was surrounded by angels who were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the first thing Isaiah could think was, my lips are unclean. I am going to be undone here. I'm in trouble. And then one of the seraphim, one of those angels flew and and with tongs took coals off of the altar of God and came and pressed 
the burning coal to Isaiah's lips and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then Isaiah heard the voice, voice of the Lord saying, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah used his lips in submission to God to say, Here I am. Send me. And God sent him to speak life to a people who would not listen. The altar from which that coal was taken was the place where sacrifices were offered to atone for the sins of God's people. And we now know on this side of the cross that the altar and those sacrifices were pointing ahead to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. So Jesus is the cure for our sin-sick heart. Jesus is the new pilot we need who will control our rudder tongues and set the course of our lives in the direction he chooses and not set, our, set the world on fires from hell with our tongues, but renew the world through our talk. Paul Tripp said this, Nowhere is our weakness more dramatically revealed than in our struggle with words. But we need not despair. Christ has come. He has lived, died, and risen for us. In him we find not only forgiveness, but deliverance from sins of the heart that lead to sins of the tongue. In utter weakness, our hearts can be filled with joy as we reflect on the grandeur of Christ's provision. In him, our words find their hope. Friends, the cure for our words is Jesus. The word of God made flesh for us, whose blood speaks a better word than the word of condemnation that we possess. So how do we get this cure? James has already told us in chapter 1, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So to get this cure from Jesus, we have to repent. We have to turn after looking at this mirror that we've been looking at this morning and seeing how the ugliness that's there, we have to turn from that mirror, which has exposed our hearts, and we have to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness from our hearts and therefore as a result from our mouths. Thomas Watson once said, when a man sees himself as wounded to death, how precious is the balm of Christ's blood. To get the cure, friends, you need to apply the balm of the blood of Jesus to your, to your heart. <laughs> By believing the gospel, or as James says it, receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. You have to hear and believe Jesus when he says, Behold, my life and death and resurrection have touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then, with the spirit of Jesus living in you, you can say with Isaiah and Jesus, Here am I, Lord. Send me into the world to speak life on your behalf. And by dependence upon the power and the presence and the purity of the Spirit of Jesus in you, you can go and speak words that give life 
to the people and the places God has put you today, tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. Father, um, thank you for this painful look into the mirror of James chapter 3. Thank you for being willing to say what we need to hear. Even those of us who have known you and walked with you for decades need to hear this word again. Hey, let me see your tongue. Because the way you speak shows where your heart is. And your heart needs to come back to me. So, Father, as we come to this table, would you make it the balm of the blood of Jesus, the ointment for our sin-sick hearts that will heal us and change the way we speak and give life to the world you've called us to live in and for. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.